Hey, uh, we are really, really glad that you're here today. Let me uh, hopefully be the last person to say to you, Happy New Year. Um, If you want to freak people out about January 15th, just tell someone Happy New Year and you'll get a really strange reaction. But uh, I think after about the first Sunday of the year when you have church, that ought to be the last one. I know some of y'all showed up here last week for church. Y'all got to start reading that thing that we hand out to you every week. Those of you that walk in like, hey, I'm a regular here, I don't need that. Y'all were the ones that showed up here last week and you were riding around the parking lot going, where in the heck is everybody at? So uh, y'all pay attention to what's going on and that won't happen to you. But, uh, But we are having church today. And I'm uh, really, really glad that you're here today to worship with us. And, and, uh, and we're starting a new series of messages called New Through 30. And, and uh, we're, we're talking about the New Testament this month. And we're going to do four messages from different sections of the New Testament. Uh, but more than that, what this is about is not just what happens on Sunday mornings. We're challenging. We're making this huge challenge. And I hope some of you have taken us up on it. We want as many people, we really like everybody to do it, but realistically, I know not everyone will. We want as many people who are part of Freedom Fellowship, either as a partner, as a regular attender, we want you to read through the New Testament in 30 days. Now, that's a big challenge. I understand. Uh, I, read, I, I try to read the Bible every single day. I almost always get to do that. And, uh, and, and, and it's hard for me, like the other day when I started, Matthew 1 through 12. I normally don't read 12 chapters in one day. Uh, so it was, uh, I was stretching myself to do that. But I want to encourage you to take the challenge. If you haven't picked up a reading guide yet and you're thinking, oh, good gracious, I'm already a week behind, just pick one up today, start day one in the morning, and go from there. And it's not like it's got to be in January when it happens, but it would be cool if you could make that, uh, make that commitment and, and try to do that. Also, we have makeup days built in there, so if you get behind, uh, I was reading some stuff yesterday that I was supposed to have finished with on Friday, and uh, I told Sherry, I said, all right, I need some quiet time. I got to read, finish up the book of Acts here today, and so, so I got that done. So I want to encourage you to do that, as many of you that, as, as will, to try that out, um, and if you start and you don't finish, I don't feel bad about that. Just keep on pushing through, and if you end up reading through the New Testament in 60 days, that's better than not reading through it at all. And let me tell you one other thing about that too. You might spend some time, especially when you're reading so many chapters in a day, you might spend some time and you think, man, I just read five chapters and I've kind of zoned out through a part of it and I'm not exactly sure what all it said. Continue to read, continue to do that because what happens is when you read the Bible, you're pouring truth into your mind, you're pouring truth into your spirit and that truth is going to come out one day. You're going to, if you read that every day, what, what we put into ourselves eventually comes out. And, uh, and so, so I want to encourage you to continue to do that. Um, I, want to, I want to begin by uh, telling you a little story today of, of, that kind of leads into what we're going to talk about. Summer of 1987, I had just graduated from high school and um, lived in Columbia, grew up in Columbia, and me and a couple of my buddies were hanging around one night, and, uh, and we really liked wrestling, or as we called it, wrestling, right? And I'm not talking about like high school wrestling. That's where I'm talking about real wrestling where, you know, people wear masks and, and take steroids and, you know, throw each other out and hit each other with chairs and stuff like that. That's the kind of wrestling we like. And so uh, the, in, in Columbia, every Tuesday night, they had wrestling at the township auditorium. 
Now, I learned later after meeting people from the upstate that every Monday night they had it at the Greenville, uh, Greenville Memorial Auditorium. So I know what they did. They, they, all the same guys that were in Greenville on Monday night, they just went down to Columbia on Tuesday night and did probably the same exact matches. But this was before the Internet, and you didn't know any of that, and it was awesome. And so uh, it was a Tuesday night. We, this, is, this is how big of losers we were. We didn't have tickets, but we went down there anyway. And uh, we were hanging around, didn't really have anything to do, and we're like, hey, Let's go down to the township and wait for the wrestlers to come out after it's over, and we'll yell at them and stuff. So that's what we were going to do. And, uh, you know, wait for somebody comes out that we don't like and, you know, start hollering at them and calling them names and stuff. So we're out there, and, and lo and behold, there's probably about 50 other losers out there with us. It was me and about three of my buddies. And, uh, and, and this guy opens the side door to the township auditorium where we were. He opens it up and says, hey, y'all come on in. And people just started streaming in. We didn't have tickets, and I was like, man, yeah. We walked in, and as we're going in, my friend uh, who was with me, he knew the guy who opened the door, and he said, uh, as he was walking in, he said, hey, man, when did you start working here? He said, I don't work here. And then I said, we went on in anyway. We didn't care. And uh, so we go in, and uh, just about the time that we get in there, they make an announcement, and they said, ladies and gentlemen, do not leave your seats. We are going to construct the cage for our main event. And so we didn't know really who all was going to be wrestling that night, and so we got in there, and they started to construct the cage, and we got to sit there for the main event. And here was the th deal. It took 45 minutes for them to build the cage around the ring for this cage match, and nobody left. Everybody stayed because they wanted to be there for the main event. Everything that had happened before that was leading up to the main event. The main event was what it was all about. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, it was a four-man tag team match with the four horsemen, which at that time was uh, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Lex Luger, and the nature boy, Ric Flair. Woo and, and then they were wrestling uh, that night against the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and... Uh, Gorgeous Jimmy Garvin and Hands of Stone Ronnie Garvin, who they acted like brothers, but they weren't really brothers. I found out later on in real life. And then, uh, and then the, the, the Russian Nightmare, Nikita Koloff. And so that was the, that was the main event, but that's a, just a side note for those of you wrestling fans. Now, here's the deal. When I tell a story like that, some of you really can relate to me better now, and some of you think that dude is a redneck, and that's all right. I hope that what I've said won't keep you from hearing the rest of what I want to say to you today. But what we're going to talk about today is the main event. There is a main event in Scripture. There is a main event that, that all of the Bible is leading up to and talking about, and then it happens, and then the rest of the Bible is a reaction to that. And so what we're going to talk about today is the main event, and that main event is, is found in the New Testament, and we're going to get to that after I pray. So let's pray together. Father God, thank you for giving us a day to gather together. And Lord, uh, I've talked to so many people already this morning who we just missed doing that last week, and we feel like it's been a long time since we've gathered together, and so I pray that we would make the most of this time, that we would hear your word, and God, we're desperate for you. Without you here today, this is all really just a waste of time, and so Lord, we know your presence is here, but Lord, we pray that not only you would be here, but that you'd be active, that you'd speak to people, Lord, that you would move in people's hearts. And, Father, that you would do the work that only you can do. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Luke 4, verses 14 through 21. That's where we're going to start today. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to the New Testament. That's the second part of the Bible. And, uh, and, and Luke 
Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book in the New Testament. We're going to start with Luke 4. Let me tell you, if you've got your Bibles today, go ahead and uh, be ready to flip around a little bit. We're going to jump a couple of different places, but, but the two main ones, we're going to be in Luke 4 and we're, then we're going to be in Hebrews 9. So if you want to go ahead and, and flip over and find Hebrews and stick a pen in there or your, your finger or whatever it is to hold that spot. But I do want you, if you have your own Bibles, to follow along, read along as we, uh, as we do that. Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to start. And so we're going to start to begin to talk about the main event, and, and this is where it happens. Luke 4, starting with verse 10, 14, 14, says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. What you need to know about where he was returning from, it said he returned. If, if you've read the book of Luke before, you know that in Luke chapter 3, it talks about the fact that Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And so he, he had had this time of extreme testing in his life uh, where he had all types of pressure on him, where he was confronted with the, the opportunity to commit different types of sins, and he was tempted by Satan to do that, and he did not do it. And so this was a, a very difficult time for him, and that's what he's returning from. And it says that when he returned, he didn't return just as a normal person. It says that he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And so one of the things that you need to understand about what happens in chapter 4 is that what happened before chapter 4 in Luke 1 through 3, this was Jesus getting prepared to do his public, public ministry. At this time, Jesus, most people think he was about 30 years old. And if you were a Jewish rabbi or teacher, you weren't really allowed to begin teaching until the age of 30. They had a lot of training and stuff you should do. So Jesus had not really done a lot of public teaching before this time. And so he had spent this time in the, in the, in the wilderness. That was like the last test for him that God had led him into the wilderness to be tested. He passed that test and now he comes out of the wilderness and now it says he comes out in the power of the Spirit. So there's a transition that's going on here from Jesus being prepared to minister to now he's coming out ready to minister, ready to teach. Then look what it says in verse 15. Immediately when he comes out it says, he taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. So Nazareth was his hometown. He'd done some teaching in Galilee already. Everyone praised him. That was exciting. Now it's like, you know, local boy made good, coming home. He's going to teach in the Nazareth synagogue. There were probably people there that grew up with him, you know, played church basketball with him or, you know, whatever. And they're all there, worked in his daddy's carpentry shop with him and that kind of stuff. And he stands up to read, and this is what he does. Verse 17. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unfolding it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now what you need to understand, this is you've got a book in your Bible called Isaiah. It's in the Old Testament. You don't have to flip there right now, but get home and look over there. You'll see, oh, I've got Isaiah. This was what what Jesus read there off of a scroll that was handed to him. You can find in your Bible in Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2, those exact same words that Jesus read. 
And what you need to understand about that is that those words were written about 700 years before Jesus was born. And, and everyone who was there, all the, these were all good religious folks who went to the synagogue every week. They knew the Bible. They, they knew the, the scrolls, the, the sacred teachings. They didn't have Bibles printed yet like we do. And uh, they knew all of that. They had heard that. And they understood that what these words that Jesus read, that Isaiah had prophesied 700 years before Jesus was born, they understood that those words were being spoken about someone who was to come to earth. Who was that? They refer to him as the Messiah, the chosen one, the one who was going to come and who was going to do all this stuff in these these verses here, set prisoners free, uh, make blind people see, all this kind of stuff, do away with oppression. And they were ready for that, and they were looking forward to the day the Messiah would come. So Jesus stands up and he reads that, and then look what happens in verse twenty and twenty-one. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And people were probably thinking, this is the shortest sermon I've ever heard. And it says, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Verse 21, and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you understand what Jesus has just done there? Jesus has just gone to his hometown with people who have known him forever, with people who spent the night at his house, with people that he grew up with, with family members in the audience, and he stands up there and he says to them, the Messiah that you've been waiting for, the, the guy that Isaiah prophesied about, the guy that Joel prophesied about, the guy that Micah prophesied about, the one that, that the law talks about, all of this stuff, the Messiah, the Messiah that you've been waiting for, he is here and you are looking at him. Jesus at that moment, he proclaimed himself to be the main event. He proclaimed himself to be the Messiah, the one that, that they had looked forward to. And what he says there, I love it in verse 21, because he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now fulfilled, another word for fulfilled is completed. And when Jesus came to earth, he completed some very important things. And, and that those are the things that we know made him the main event, the thing that everything before was leading up to and the thing that everything after was pointing back to. And here are the two things. We're going to talk about two things today that Jesus completed. The first one is this. Jesus completes the teaching of God. Jesus completes the teaching of God. There were these guys back in uh, Jesus' time called the Pharisees. If you read, if, if you go through the New Testament and you read uh, the New Testament in 30 days like we're challenging you to, you're going to hear a lot about the Pharisees in the New Testament. The Pharisees were all the time having disagreements and arguments with Jesus. They didn't like Jesus at all. And what the Pharisees were, the Pharisees were experts in the law and the prophets. The, teach, the, the sacred teachings that you would go to the synagogue and hear, the Pharisees sp spent all their time studying it. They were, they were pouring over that stuff all the time. They, they, were, very, they were smart guys. They were very well-read. They were very learned. They, they, they knew what was going on with, with the Scripture and, and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things you have to understand about the Pharisees, they knew so much, but for them it had become a point of pride. They liked the fact that they knew more than anyone else. They loved that, in fact. In fact, they kind of held that over people's heads, the fact that they were smarter than everyone else when it came to the Scripture. Um, I've, I've heard of stories um, 
of, of people that work in, in kind of big companies, and uh, they've told me stories about the IT, some of the IT guys at their companies. Now, an IT is like the computer guy. I don't even know what IT stands for. Is it like internet technician or something? I don't even know what it means. But, but anyway, that's the, the, the IT guy is the computer genius. And so I've heard these stories from people who work in these big companies, and they'll say, yeah, I had a problem with my computer or my hard drive or whatever. We call them our IT guy. And they talk about, now, not all IT. Some, there's like IT guys in here now. Don't leave the church after I talk. I'm not talking about you. Unless you are like this, I don't know, maybe you are. Um, but they talk about some of the IT guys will show up, and they'll get your computer fixed for you, but in the meantime, they make you feel like a total idiot while they're doing it. You know, they, they talk about, well, did you try this? Well, why did you do, you know, did you get a blue screen? Well, well you're so stupid. You know, that's kind of stuff, and they just make you feel dumb. And by the way, if you've got an IT guy at your company that does that, don't, don't be upset with him. He's just got low self-esteem because he was usually the last one picked for kickball, and the first one out in dodgeball, it's okay. Now he's, he's making more money than you now, and, and just let him, let him be excited about that. Some of y'all are laughing because you know an IT guy like that. But the, the Pharisees were kind of like that. They were these guys that, that yeah, they, knew, they had a lot of knowledge, but they weren't going to give it away unless they made you feel less than what you should be. They wanted to make, they, they not only wanted to, to know a lot, they wanted to make you feel stupid because you didn't know as much as they did. And so what happened was, since these Pharisees were the main teachers of the Scripture, is they had created a culture. They had created a culture around the synagogue where the teachings of God were actually used to separate people from God instead of draw them closer to God. It was really a tragedy is what was going on because the very the law and the prophecies, all the things that God gave as a gift to all men and women to read, now those were things were being used to, as a way to separate people from the goodness of God instead of draw them closer to who God really was. And so when Jesus came to earth, what he did was is he completed the teaching of God. And the way he did that was he came to earth and he lived it out. He lived it out every day. And not only did he live it out, but he took the teachings that the Pharisees were trying to use to separate people from God and he simplified it. And he made it uh, able for where the common man could understand it. Not only did he make it where the common man could understand it, but he simplified it. And, and when he simplified it, don't, no, let, me, let me be sure I, I, I make something clear here. When I say he simplified it, he didn't diminish it at all. He didn't make it less than it was. But what he did was is he took very hard teachings and he put them in ways that common people, people like me and you, could understand. And when he did that, he was completing the teaching of God. I'll give you an example. There's a, there's a part of the law that, that all of you, even if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, never been to church before, there's a part of the law that you're familiar with. It's called the Ten Commandments. How many, if you've heard of the Ten Commandments, raise your hand. All right. If, if, when you get home, take your Bible. You can look up the Ten Commandments for yourself. Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. Now, you'll remember, if, if you grew up listening to, paying attention in Sunday school, that, that Moses went up on a mountain and God gave him the Ten Commandments. Not only did God give him the Ten Commandments, if you read after Exodus chapter 20, there's all kind of different laws and stuff that go along with the Ten Commandments. But the Ten Commandments were kind of like the simplified version. Here's ten things that people should remember and that kind of stuff. Jesus took even the Ten Commandments and he made them even simpler than, than they already were by completing the teaching. Here's how he did it. 
the, uh, there was a, a day where, um, well, well let's, let's, let's review the Ten Commandments first. All right, the first four commandments. Anybody know what number one is? Shout it out if you know it. Where's Jonathan King? He's in the back. He always answers. Come on, somebody knows the first commandment. If not, we're going to have to go back to have a Sunday school here. All right, who knows? A, a child. Tell me, what's the first commandment? All right, I heard somebody say it in the King James, which is how we all remember it. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? Not the first commandment, all right? All right, go home and read the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's the King James. That's how we all memorize it. The second one is don't make any idols, okay? Anyone want to guess what the third one is? Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's the third one. The fourth one is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So those are the first four commandments. Now, those first four commandments... Don't have any other gods, don't make any idols, don't misuse the name of God, and keep the Sabbath day. All four of those deal directly with our relationship to God, just between us and Him. Now, the next six, number five. All right, some child, tell me what number five is. Honor your father and your mother. Good job. Honor your parents is number five. Parents, y'all should all have number five memorized. And just when your kids act up, say, hey, you're breaking number five. God's going to get you. That's what you ought to know. Just don't do that. Number six, don't murder anybody. Number seven, don't commit adultery. Number eight, don't steal stuff. Number nine, don't lie. And number ten is something that I know none of us have ever broken. Don't covet. And you're like, I know I haven't, Cliff. I don't even know what covet means. It means don't want your neighbor's stuff. And you're like, oh, yeah, I have done that one, haven't I? All right, so that's, that's the last six. Now, here's the deal with the last six. All of the last six, they deal with our relationships with who? With other people. You're, you're not murdering God, you're murdering your neighbor. You're, you're lying about your neighbor. You're, you're wanting your neighbor's stuff. So, so you've got the Ten Commandments are kind of broken up into two sections. The first four, us and God. The last six, us and other people. So one day, Jesus is teaching and the Pharisees, once again, are there, and they don't like Jesus. And so they ask him a question, and, and they don't ask him a question because they really want to learn. They ask him a question because they're hoping to get him in trouble. And they ask him a question, say, hey, Jesus, you're so smart. What is the greatest commandment? Now, I want you to look at what Jesus did. Matthew 22, 37 through 40, says this. Jesus replied to this question. Greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now think about what Jesus has done here, how he has simplified the teaching of God where common people can understand it. What Jesus has basically done here is he said, hey, you remember those first four commandments? Let me give you something that's even easier to remember than that. Love God with all you got. Because if you love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, you're not going to put any other gods before him. If you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, you're not going to build an idol and bow down and worship it. If you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, you're not going to misuse the name of God. And so what Jesus was doing here is he's taking the teaching of God and he's even simplifying it even more by completing it as what he was doing. And, and by the way, Jesus didn't make up those words. You can find those words in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. So Jesus was taking the old teaching and he was saying, Here's one that you need to remember, that you need to, to highlight in your, on your scroll. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, and then I love what Jesus does next. 
Because they just asked him one question. Hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, hey, now that I got your attention, I'm going to tell you something else that you didn't ask about, but you should have. And he said this. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, did Jesus make that up off the top of his head? Leviticus 19, 18. Something God had already said. Something God had already commanded. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now think about this. What about those last six commandments we talked about? If you love your neighbor as yourself, are you going to kill him? Are you going to commit adultery with your neighbor's wife if you love your neighbor as yourself? If you love your neighbor as yourself, are you going to lie about them? Are you going to steal their lawnmower when they're off on vacation? No, you're not going to do any of that stuff if you love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus took the teaching of God and he completed it by simplifying it where common people can understand it. And even more importantly than that, by living it out every single day. That's what Jesus was doing. He was completing the teaching of God. That's why when you read the Sermon on the Mount, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus says stuff like this. Hey, the law says don't murder anybody. But I say, don't even have contempt for someone in your heart. Don't call them a fool. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, the law says don't commit adultery. But I say, don't even look at another woman lustfully. What Jesus was doing was he was completing the teaching of God. And he was the only one that could do that. He is the main event. He was able to complete the teaching of God. And by doing that, he took teachings that at one time had separated people from God and now they became more powerful than ever. The second thing that Jesus completes that we don't want to miss, this is so important, Jesus completes the sacrifice. Jesus completed the sacrifice. If you read through the Old Testament, and I suggest, my, my you know, suggestion to you would be, when you finish the New Testament, the 30-day New Testament thing, spend some time reading the Old Testament after that. And when you read the Old Testament, you're going to see there's a lot of discussion in there and a lot of rules about sacrifices. What kind of sacrifice you're supposed to bring to the temple when, if you were Jewish back in those days? What are good sacrifices? What are bad sacrifices? How, when the sacrifices should come? There's all these rules about sacrifices. Because see, what happened back then was once a year, families would make a, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the, to the temple in Jerusalem. And they would take with them uh, uh, an animal from their flock. And they had to get the right one. They had to get the best one that they had. And they'd take a goat or a, or a sheep or a calf and they'd carry that thing with them to Jerusalem. And by the way, if you think you have a hard time like getting your family to church on Sunday morning, imagine if, you know, you get like halfway to Jerusalem and you're like, okay, where's the... Did y'all not bring the calf? Good gracious, we picked that thing out last night. You know, I could just see a dad like losing his mind. Y'all go ahead. I'm going back myself. I have to do everything myself and, you know, that kind of thing. And so that... So they would bring this thing to, the, to Jerusalem, to the, to the temple, and they would present it to the priest, and the priest would slit its throat. You're like, oh, that's what would happen. He'd slit its throat, and they would let it bleed out right there in front of everybody. And then the, the, this would happen hundreds and thousands of times during this day. And then at one time after all the sacrifices had been brought, the priest would go inside the temple. He'd go to the very inner part of the temple that, that they called the Holy of Holies. It's the holiest place on earth is what they believed. And then he would make sacrifice there for the sins of all the people who were Jewish. And that's what they would have to do every single year. And so this was, the, this was what was given by God. These were the instructions of God to do this. So it's not like these people were making this up or doing something that was bad. 
But even when they did this, even when they did what God commanded them to do, the sacrifice was not yet completed. How do we know that? Look in Hebrews chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, flip over to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9. All right, y'all all got your scuba tanks on because we're about to go deep here in just a second. Don't, don't wimp out on me here. Hebrews is some deep stuff, but I know you can hang with it. It's January 8th. Come on. First part of the year. You're ready. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 9. Listen to what it says about the sacrifices back then. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able, were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. Do you hear what that's saying there? It's saying all this stuff was good, you were supposed to do that, but those were only external cleanings. Those were just stuff on the outside, and those only applied until the new order. Who do you think the new order was? It's the coming of Jesus. It's the main event. He completed the sacrifice. And so look what it says in verse 11. When Christ came as high priest, remember I told you that they would bring the the sacrifices to the priest? So now the priest is Jesus. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. So they would go to to the temple or the tabernacle, which was stuff that they built. God gave them the instructions, they built it, but now the Hebrews tells us that when Jesus came, he didn't have to go through the man-made stuff, he went through the real tabernacle, which was himself. And so look at verse 12, it says this, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Now check this out. I told you we were going to go deep, but hang with me right here. It used to be in the Old Testament, that a family had to go pick out a calf, the perfect one, go to Jerusalem, present that to the priest, watch it be killed, the priest go in and to do that, and then that, even that did not complete the cleaning and the soul cleansing that was needed to sacrifice. Now Jesus, by dying on the cross, not only is he the high priest, he's also the sacrifice. So he's the calf, he's the lamb, and he's also the one who accepted the calf and the lamb. He was both of those. He was the priest and the sacrifice. He completed the sacrifice. And then look what it says in verse 13 and 14. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, remember I told you that he went through the temptation and never sinned? unblemished, the perfect sacrifice, the only one of us humans that has never committed a sin. Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Jesus completed the sacrifice by making now his sacrifice is the one that cleanses our soul from sin. The, the other sacrifice cleansed outwardly. This one cleanses our soul. Now, I want, I want to bring this into modern day and I want you to to hear me here I think that there are some people whether you fit into this group or not you've got to determine 
And it's not just people at this church, but I think it's people in churches all over this world, this country. I think there are people who they come to church every week and they receive an outward cleansing. They receive a cleansing like the, the calf that was, that was killed at the synagogue. That, they receive that cleansing. It's an outward cleansing. They come and, and, and they hear someone like me teach and they maybe understand a little bit and they laugh at something that was funny. They hear music. They maybe, maybe even start to feel moved and, and, and feel like, oh, that was good. But they walk out of here never really experiencing the soul cleansing of Jesus and they walk out of here and they don't understand why six weeks later, Six days later, six months later, they go back to living the old life that they always lived. The reason why is they received an outward cleansing. And what they needed was they needed a soul cleansing that only comes from the sacrifice of Jesus. See, when, it, when, when people went to the temple and, and, and they took their sacrifice, if they were expecting that to, to completely abolish their sins, that, that was, it was never going to happen because that wasn't going to happen until Jesus came and the sacrificial system was complete. And so if you come to church and you think, man, I just come to church and, and maybe I'll even do a life group because Donnie said that's good and, and maybe I'll even serve at Halloween Hoopla and all that kind of stuff and volunteer at VBS and that's all you do and you think that that's going to cleanse your soul from sin, you're going to find out that, that, that it's never going to work. Because only Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, he's the high priest, he's the sacrifice, can cleanse our soul. See, it'd be like, it would be like going to the doctor, and you go in and the doctor says, hey, i got bad news, we've run these tests, and you've got cancer. And you, man, I cannot believe I've got cancer. The doctor says, but listen, I've got good news for you. We can do this intensive chemotherapy, and, and, uh, and, and it'll, it should work, and, but it's got to be this intensive chemotherapy. It's got to go way down into your system and all that stuff. And you say to the doctor, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go home and take a shower, and I think by taking a shower, the cancer is going to be gone. Now, how ridiculous would that be? The doctor would laugh you out of his office because a shower won't take care of the cancer that's in your system. You need something that's going to go deep down in there to get out that stuff. It's the same thing with, with church and, and with the way we try to live. Sometimes we think, man, just coming to church is going to do it. That's just like taking a shower. And you need to have the inside of your soul power washed is what you need. And that only happens from Jesus. It, you, you don't need to be wiped down like wiping a counter down. You need to be deep clean. And so when Jesus came to earth, when, when he died on the cross, he was the sacrifice. He completed the sacrificial system. Not only did he complete the teaching of God, but he completed the sacrifice that was necessary. And so we see that in Hebrews 9, we continue, Hebrews 9, 24 through 28 says this, For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all, the day that he was crucified. That was it. Once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined once to die and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are awaiting him. Jesus is the main event. 
Jesus is the main event not only of Scripture, He's the main event of history, He's the main event of eternity, and He always has been. When you read the Old Testament, you need to read it through the lens of Jesus. Because when you read the prophecies, they're talking about Jesus who's going to come. When you, when you read the law, you're thinking, why in the world so many laws? What, what was God thinking, do, given all these detailed laws about what you eat and how you trim your beard and, and how if your clothes should have seams in them or not? What, what was going on? Why was God doing this? The reason God put the law into place was to point people to Jesus. Because it wasn't like God put the law in place and said, I've got to come up with some moral code. These people are out of control. I don't know what to do. Jesus did this so that people would realize we can't keep all this stuff. We can't accomplish this ourselves we need a messiah we need someone who can do this for us and so the law was put in place to point people to jesus when you read about the sacrificial system the reason that jesus died on a cross was because the old in the old days they would have the sacrificial system that was pointing people to jesus so that every time someone took a, a, a lamb or a calf or a goat to the temple, and they would watch it bleed out. That was pointing to the fact that one day the true sacrifice would come and he would hang on a cross and he would bleed out for you and for me. That he would sacrifice himself. The sacrifices were made to point us to Jesus. The law was put in place to point us to Jesus. And now that Jesus is here, the rest of the New Testament is about Jesus, about who he was, about how we're supposed to live, about how his church that he established is supposed to function. He is the main event. I'm going to ask uh, Sherry to come up here, and she's going to play a little bit. And I'm going to give you her time to respond. Um, because here's, here's what I, I think I want you to, to deal with today. I mean, we, we talked about some pretty kind of deep theological stuff, and if you've got questions about that, I'd love to discuss all that with you. But, uh, but what I really want you to think about right now, beyond all of that, is I just want you to think about your life and think about if, if you've had that soul-cleansing experience with Jesus or not. Or are you just coming here thinking, man, I go to church and I'm covered. And that one day there'll be this day of judgment where Jesus, you face him face to face and you look at him and you say, hey, Jesus, you remember I went to Freedom Fellowship like twice a month. I mean, we're cool, right? Aren't we good? And, and maybe you're, you're thinking that's the way it's going to be. And, and what I want you to know today is that Jesus is the main event and, and, and we have to respond to him. You, you can ignore him as long as you want to. But at some point, you're going to have to respond to him. And if you respond to him today, you can respond to him positively and say, Jesus, I need your sacrifice. I'm guilty of sin. I've done stupid stuff, and I know I can't keep the, the law on my own, and I, I need you. And so, and, and maybe you're here today and you say, Cliff, I've already had that soul-cleansing experience. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm in it and that kind of stuff. But still, you can evaluate your life and say, is Jesus the main event of who I am? When I go to work, is Jesus the main event when I work? Or do I put him on the side and then pick him up on Sunday morning on the way to church? When I play golf or when I go shopping or when I go to football practice or basketball practice or whatever it is that you do, is Jesus the main event of what's going on with me?
And so this is what I want you to do. I want you just to stand up, and Sherry's going to play, and I'm going to pray. After I pray, um, you're going to have an opportunity to respond. And um, whether you're a follower of Jesus, not a follower of Jesus, this area is open. I want you to come down and pray. Uh, just as many of you as want to, just get on your knees and just say, hey, Jesus, I want you to be the main event for me. You were the main event one time, and I've moved away from you, whatever it might be, but this is open for you to come and respond and, and ask Jesus to be the main event in your life. And if you're here and you're saying, I need that soul cleansing that first time, after you come down here and pray, I want you to grab a hold of Donnie or Chris. They're right down here at the front. You can see them. Or grab a hold of anybody else here that you know and trust and say, I need it. So let's pray, and then you'll have an opportunity to respond. And I'm going to go down and pray myself. So uh, let's pray together. Father God, you are, you are everything. And as we talk today about Jesus, we know that, that from the beginning of creation, that everything has been leading us to him. And I pray that we don't miss out on that, Lord. I pray that we take that serious today. And God, personally, I ask you to give me the strength to discipline myself so that Jesus will be the main event in my life tomorrow morning and the next day and the next and the next. You are a good God. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. And we praise and worship him today. In Jesus' name, amen. You come forward.